And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes. Red rope hair, gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs. You're my candy. Hey everybody, it's podcast number six. Welcome, as always, I'm Greg. I'm Uncle Frank. I'm Jimmy Sweets. Frank, what do you got for us? We have an introduction to Celtic mouth music and a tribute to the audio stylings of Leonard Nimoy. That's not enough, James. What else? Well, we have the Eyes of March. We got a Chinese demon and a reading from the Quiet Man. Plus, we'll have the 64 cult classics. We're going to break them down bracket style. It's It's March March Madness, Madness, baby. baby. Let's get started. Truth is stranger than fiction. And this is the proof. This is Ripley. Believe it or not. Colonel Peter Jefferson, who was the father of President Thomas Jefferson, could simultaneously upend two hogsheads of tobacco, each weighing 1,000 pounds. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about one of the strangest robberies in all history. In Lucerne, Switzerland, a grave robber in the mausoleum of General Ludwig Pfeiffer's wife got the scare of his lifetime. The general's wife, who had been interred in the mausoleum the night before, suddenly sat up in her coffin and screamed at him. The lady was still very much alive. Madame Pfeiffer, clad only in a shroud, walked all the way home and lived another 20 years. But she never smiled again. Believe it or not. It's just uh, a, a, a song where you can dance to. It's very nice to sing to. And there are no instruments at all? No, none. <laughs> What we've all just been listening to is an example of lilting, also known as diddling, jigging, chin music, or Porsche de Bay, which is the Scottish Gaelic, or at least my Scottish Gaelic, for tunes from the mouth. There's also mouth singing, which is a translation of the Irish Gaelic, All these terms are just the many ways of saying Gaelic mouth music. Today, I'm just going to call it lilting and leave it all at that. Lilting is a tradition from Ireland, from Scotland, 
and from Nova Scotia on the Cape Breton Island. With lilting, the rhythm and the sounds of the words are more important than their meaning, and many times just nonsense sounds are used instead of words. Let's hear some more lilting, and since it's St. Patrick Day was just a little while ago, we'll start with an Irish tune. This is Patty and Michael Rafferty doing The Queen of the Rushes. It was recorded in Galway in 1991. <laughs> That, of course, was an example of using nonsense sounds. But much of Lilting used to use, and still does use, actual lyrics. The lyrics are light-hearted and sometimes bawdy. Uh, they were sung often at dances when no musical instruments were available. Over the years, though, the Gaelic language has dwindled, and the meaning of the lyrics has become even less important, and can sometimes be even nonsensical. Here is some Lilting with lyrics. This is Jan Fanch Kremener from Britain Island performing Marie Louise. La 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 Marie-Louise Garnet, il parle à l'Estéroué. Marie-Louise Garnet, il parle à l'Estéroué. 
When not using lyrics, the sounds used by lilters can vary from person to person. Some may do dumbly dum, rubbly tom, or rowdy do, dumbly dum, etc. And some lilters mimic musical instruments, such as the banjo, sort of dink dank, dink a diddly, or the bow run, which is an Irish uh, frame drum, rubbity pump, pun a pump. Here are a couple of examples of lilters who have their own individual sound. First, the drunken piper, done by Gordon Easton, then some bagpipe lilts performed by Patty Tunney. We've already talked about lilting being used for dances. I'm sure lilting existed before being used for dancing. In fact, some form of mouth tunes, along with humming and whistling, must have existed since the beginning of music. But lilting became very important over the years to house dances, especially out in the country. Maybe this came about because of a shortage of instruments, or maybe just because people could pull off lilting better than actually playing an instrument. Whatever the reason, lilting was linked with dancing. But it had some other uses as well. One of these uses is as a memory aid for musicians. Where lilting was practiced, musicians used lilting to help describe tunes to each other, and when teaching, 
They would encourage the students to lilt the tune before playing it to get used to the, how the melody would play out. Lilting has also been used as a novelty element in a regular song. There are a lot of examples of lilting being used as a chorus in a song otherwise filled with lyrics. Lastly and lately, as lilting started to decline in its use for dances, people started having lilting recitals. It was an alternative to instruments or songs with lyrics. There are lilting competitions now where speed and dexterity are as important as beauty and style. Here's an example with John McDonald and then Joe Harris, the old Ireland uh, lilting champion, followed by Joe Holmes and Len Graham performing The Girl That Broke My Heart. Now here is a little bit of deadling for you, a stress pay. Hey, hey, little 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 dum da do da little little da da do do little little dum da little da do da do fall da do little little dum da do do little little da fall da do little little da do da do do little dum da do little da do do little little da do do little da fall da do little little da do da do da do little da do little dum da do do little da fall da do little little da do da do da do little dum da do little da do little dum da do fall da do little da do little da do little dum da do little da do little dum da do fall da do little da do little da do little da do fall da do Rum the day, a mother, a little, 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 a little,
There are also oddities within this form of music. Here are bird imitations done by Ann Johnson. And the thrushes. Well, now you've been exposed to the art of lilting, or diddling, or chin music, or whatever. A beautiful example of Gaelic culture. We're going to bow out of this subject by listening to the great Seamus Fay lilting with Guido Pluske playing the Bowran drum. It was recorded in Cavan, Ireland at Meadow College for Guido's DVD, Hit the Goat. The 
And now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. A monstrous landscape disfigures the cover of my well-worn, well-loved, 60-cent paperback called Vampires, Werewolves, and Other Demons. The author, Bernhard J. Hardwood, collected stories from around the globe about these creatures and compiled them for Scholastic Books in 1972. The book was unique for including stories from beyond Europe, like the story we've chosen today, which is from China. The Two Brides. Many years ago, a prominent Tartar family of Peking arranged for their son to marry a girl of similar rank, according to the custom of the times. While the wedding procession was underway, the closed sedan chair of the bride was carried past an ancient tomb. Just then, a whirlwind arose, spreading a cloud of dust so thick that all of the attendants were temporarily blinded. When the sedan chair reached the husband's house, two identical brides emerged. The parents of the young man were astonished. It was impossible, however, to make any inquiries about the matter at this advanced stage without offending anyone. Thus the proper rituals were performed, the necessary offerings were made, and the ceremony was concluded. The young bridegroom's feelings of concern were soon dissipated, and he thought to himself, perhaps it may be better to have two brides. Who knows? Later that night, dreadful cries were heard from the bridal chamber. The door was forced open at once. On the floor lay the prostate form of the husband, while on the bed lay a single bride, her eyes torn from her sockets and blood streaming down her face. Upon searching the house, the servants discovered a large black and gray bird with a sharp beak and claws perched on the roof beam. As they searched for weapons to attack the sinister creature, it flapped its wings and flew out the window. When the young man regained consciousness, he told how one of the two brides had struck him in the face with one of her sleeves, blinding him. Immediately afterwards, he said, a great bird had flown at him and pecked out his eyes, for that bride was a demon or an evil spirit, a kui, as the Chinese call it, who often commit evil deeds for evil's sake. <laughs> ¶¶
Here's a tune, Les, that means an awful lot to me. I know it means fake all to breathe it down there. It's a tune called the Jumbo Breakfast Roll, and it goes something like this. When I wake up in the morning and I jump straight out of bed, I grab a hold of me luminous jacket and shake off me old portal head. I have a time for the fancy breakfast, I put boozy in the bowl. I just head to the satay garage for the Jumbo Breakfast Roll. Two eggs, two such, two rashes, two bacon, two put them up, deck one white. Oh, stack like a chair on top of each other and round up good and tight. If you have some dead milk, salt, or do you find sugar in the bowl? Say, she, do you want some sauce and dash? Says, are you doing my roll? Now, whether you're a chippy or a plumber or a bricky or a team, just can the roll. All the shower lads coming back from the rise and the crowd are on your own. If you're walking up a ladder or feel a big splatter or find yourself digging in a hole. There's no sight better than melting butter on the jumbo breakfast roll. Two eggs, two sausages, two rice, two bacon, two pudding, one black, one white. Oh, set like a tower on top of each other and round up good and tight. If you're having some tea, the milk's over, then you find sugar in the bowl. Say, she, do you want some sauce and that? Says, I, I do my roll. Now, just the other day after me rolling tea, me got a god awful leg. Well, I went to me doctor, says he, that's an artery block, you're having every man of a break. I know there's too many words left, but that bloody Bob Dylan. So, change your lifestyle, you have to walk five miles and see the dietitian gone, no. But take it from me head to say you do run the eggs on the jumbo breakfast roll. Two eggs, two sachets, two rice, two bacon, two pudding, one black, one white. Oh, stack like a tower on top of each other, and round up good in time. If you're having some tea, the milk's over, do you find sugar in the bowl? Say, she, do you want some sauce and that? Says, I, I do in my roll. All right, let's take it nice and handy now. Sad verse coming. Sad verse coming out. This'll give Breed a good bloody laugh. Now the years have moved on and my life has changed and now I'm a different man. I'm after losing three stone doing line with a girl called Joan and we're both vegetarian. I am. Now my blood sugar levels are good to go and my cholesterol is low but in the morning I'd sell my soul. Just to sit outside and he makes all emo shells die for good. <sighs> I need a jumbo breakfast roll. Two eggs, two such a two rice, two bacon, two pudding, one black, one white. Oh, it's like take a tower on top of each other and roll up good and tight. If you have some tea, the milk's over, there you find sugar in the bowl. Say, she, do you want some sauce and that? Says, I, I do my roll. Two eggs, two such a two rice, two bacon, two pudding, one black, one white. How was that? It's March Madness, and you know what that means. You got the 64 teams coming up Selection Sunday. So here at the SISG Podcast, we've got our 64 cult classics. We're going to break them down. we got four regions, sports fans. So here we go in the don't dream it, live it region. We've got the number one seed, Rocky Horror Picture Show, taking on the number 16 seed, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Who do you got? 
Well, I got, that's Jimmy Sweets, I got uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm trying to pick the rice out of my hair right now. I got to go for Planet 9 for Outer Space. It's uh, my favorite. So we got a countdown to the buzzer. Three, two, one, a shot from half court. Rocky Horror Picture moves on. We've got the number eight seed, Point Break, versus the number nine seed, Omega Man. What do you got, Frank? All right, well, this is ridiculous, because that's uh, they should not be on the same thing. It's Omega Man, hands down. Omega Man. Omega Man wins in a landslide. Next, we got the number four seed, Napoleon Dynamite, taking on the number 13, Mars Attacks. Who moves on? Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, man. Shocks. Lucky. Napoleon Dynamite, baby. Napoleon Dynamite moves on. Next, we have the number five seed, Heavy Metal, taking on number 12 seed, The Dark Crystal. Oh, that's, Ooh, that's a, a tough, tough one. one. Those oh, five 12 man. seeds are tough. <laughs> I, it's got to be Dark Crystal, but man, that's close. Oh, man. Can I go, bah, Dark Crystal. <laughs> and Dark Crystal pulls off the upset, the number 12 beating the five seed. The number two seed in the Don't Dream It, Live It region, we got Days to Confuse taking on the number 15 seed, The Warrior. Who moves on? Uh, Days to Confuse on my side. Oh, man, The Warriors with, with where in the hell is Carmen Sandiego chick? Man, I love that. I gotta go Days and Confused, though. Days and Confused moves on. The number seven seed, Caddyshack, taking on the Blair Rich Project. Oh, Caddyshack, come on now. Yeah, I gotta go with the stuffed squirrel that looks like crap, Caddyshack. <laughs> Caddyshack moves on. We got the number three seed, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, taking on the number 14 seed, Glen Gary, Glen Warras. Who moves on? Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> All right, levity versus like the most dismal movie of all time. <laughs> I, I gotta go with Pee Wee. I gotta Pee-wee. go with Pee Wee. Pee Wee's Big Adventure moves on, and finally we've got the number six seed Brazil taking on number eleven Red Dawn. Uh, Who's the winner? Brazil on my side. Oh, it's a slaughter, all right, for Red Dawn. It's Brazil. <laughs> Brazil moves on. Next up in the number four region, the Deadite region, we've got. The number one heavyweight contender, Evil Dead, taking on number 16, Newsies. That was one for you, Jay. All right, yeah, and you did me a disservice here because I, obviously I got to pick Evil Dead. That's screwed up because this should have been a lot higher. I got to talk to whoever's seen this crap. Uh, we got to go with Evil Dead. All right, Evil Dead moves on. The committee will be glad to take your return your phone call. In the 8 versus 9 seed, we got the number 8, Brick, taking on number 9, Nosferatu. Oh, that's tough, but I, I still go with Brick. I got to go with Brick, too, man. We, we are not having a lot. <laughs> so the no upset there. Number eight seed moves on. We got the number four seed, 12 Monkeys, taking on the number 13th seed, the Labyrinth. Who's the winner? I'm going to have to go with Labyrinth because oh. I like puppets. Oh, boop, 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 boop. upset alert, upset alert. Oh, Labyrinth, Labyrinth. Oh, Labyrinth moves on. The committee has not gotten every one of these right. So moving right along, we got the number five seed, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, taking on the number 12 seed, the Blues Brothers. Who's the cult classic winner of that uh, round? That's tough, but I got to go with the Blues Brothers. I, I, you know what? I love Scott. You did another disservice to me because I got to pick the Blues Brothers as well. Blues oh, Brothers man. moves on. I thought I was going to have to pull a tiebreaker. And by the way, I did not do it. The committee did it. And <laughs> they're very hurt to hear that. <laughs> Moving right along in the Deadite region, the number two seed, Blade Runner, taking on number 15, Galaxy Quest. Upset? Who do we got? No, hands down, Blade Runner. Oh, Blade Runner. Come did, on. Of course, Blade Runner moves on. Number seven, Super Troopers, taking on the number 10 seed, Night of the Living Dead. Night, Who's the winner? Night of the Living Dead. Super Troopers should be thrown away. Yeah, it's not even close. 
Night of Living Dead um, upsets the seven seed. Moves moving on to the next round in the Deadite region, rank number three. We've got a Clockwork Orange taking on number fourteen, the Legend, the oh, Tom Cruise. Oh man, that's tough because of the makeup. But I'm so gonna great. go with Legend. Oh, you know what? I gotta go with Rooster. I gotta go with Legend too. <laughs> And legend moves on. Oh man! Not a lot of love for the <laughs> movies with giant penis statues, apparently. And finally, we got the number six seed, the Mel Brooks classic Spaceballs, taking on the number eleven seed. They live. They live. Uh, I gotta go with they live. There's wrestlers in it. All right, I, I gotta go with Spaceballs just for conjecture's sake. But uh, both great mo- movies. What's it gonna be? And the committee says that they live. Came here for two reasons, to kick ass and to chew bubblegum, and they live moves on. <laughs> so let's go right along to the number two seed, the Holy Hand Grenade region. The number one seed, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, taking on the number 16 seed, Mad Mad Monster oh, Party. Oh, moves on. I got to go with Mad Mad Monster Party. All right, Monty Python, it's got to be represented. It is the number one seed. I got to go with them. And, of course, it wasn't even close. Monty Python moves on. Uh, number eight seed, Fear and Los- Loathing in Las Vegas, taking on the John Carpenter Classic. Number nine seed, Escape from New York. Who's the winner? Escape from New York, of course. Snake Bliskin, Snake from New York. Time get Escape from New York pulls off the upset. The number four seed, The Princess Bride, taking on the number 13 seed, Mad Max. Who's the winner? It's got to be Princess Bride. What do you think? All right, I, yeah, only one will enter. <laughs> two, two will enter, one will leave, and it's the Princess Bride. <laughs> Princess Bride moves on to the next round. We've got the number five seed, Big Trouble in Little China, taking on number 12 seed, Baba Hotep. Uh, it's got to be Big Trouble in Little China. Man, Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite films. That's not even close. Big Trouble moves on. In the number two seed, we've got The Big Lebowski taking on the classic Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Ah, uh, well, Big Lebowski, but I love that song from the Santa Claus Congress of Martians. <laughs> it's Big Lebowski, too, but I, there was many childhood visions of Martians and Santa Claus. The bowling takes over the Martians. Number seven seed, Donnie Darko, taking on the John Carpenter, uh, The Thing. What's well, going to be seed. The Thing, the best remake ever. That's, that's yeah, I... I I don't even have. Donnie Darko is beautiful, but not as beautiful as the thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing, thing moves is... on. Upset. The number ten seed beats the seven seed. For the number three seed, we've got the Reservoir Dogs taking on number fourteen seed, Amazon Women from the Moon. <laughs> well, uh, the Reservoir Dogs is a better movie, but Amazon Women on the Moon is the the epitome of a cult classic. So I got to go with that. I uh, know. I got one phrase for you. There ain't no G-Dem. It's Thelma in this place. I'm going with Amazon Women in the Moon. Amazon Women takes it. Next up, the number six seed office space taking on number 11, oh, Dead Alive. That's not fair. That's tough, but I'm going to have to go with uh, Dead Alive because there you go. It's the epitome of a cult classic. I'm going to go with office space. Uh, it, it's definitely a cult classic. And this game is going into overtime, and with two seconds left, Dead Alive throws up a shot and wins the game. Dead Alive moves on. Next up, the third region, the Lick My Love Pump region. Here we go. Number one seed. This is Spinal Tap, taking the number 16 speed seed, I Spit on Your Grave. Who moves on? Uh, I hate that, I Spit on Your Grave. I do not like <laughs> rape films, but I do love Spinal Tap, so that's my pick. All right, yeah, we're kicking this all the way up to 11, baby. Spinal Tap. So, so far, no one seed has been knocked out, true to the NCAA tournament. Next up, 
the number eight seed, Clue, taking on number nine seed, the yeah. Goonies. Goonies is like babysitting a bunch of unruly kids. I'm going with Clue. Oh, man. I, it's going to be harder for me. This is kind of my generation. Both those movies came out about the same time. I love them both. But uh, you know, like, if I had to pick a movie to we'll be on a deserted island, Clue. Clue moves on. Beautiful. Number four, American History X. Oh, man. Takes on number 13, Kids. I don't know about Kids, so I'm going to have to go with American History X. Oh, man. I got to go with Kids, but only because they have the stupidest scene in American History X where the white dude freaking slam dunks, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> the committee buys that, so Kids moves on. <laughs> Next up, number fifth seed, Heathers, taking on number 12, Logan's Run. Oh, it's got to Those be... 512s are tough, boys. Those are very beautiful, but Logan's Run is, is great, so I got to pick that. I, you know what? I, I adore Heathers. You did to do it again. Logan's Run. Logan's Run moves on. Next up, the number two seed in the Lick My Love Pump region. Number two, Clerks, taking on number 15, Repo Man. I never saw Repo Man, so it's got to be Clerks. All right, Repo Man is one of the, I mean, they, they showed in film school, and it's like a piece of crap. It's hilarious. I, I saw it in, in on the big screen, Is there, you know, but uh, you know what? I, I'm going to have to go with Clerks as well. Clerks wins a close one. Number seven, Anchorman, takes on number 10 seed, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Got to be Edward Scissorhands. All right, I'm going to love some scotch and say the Anchorman. And Edward Scissorhands comes up with the upset. Next up, number three, Fight Club, taking on number 14, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I don't need to be that depressed, so I'm going with Fight Club. <laughs> I don't need to be that depressed, so I'm going to be Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, the three seed moves on, Fight Club. And finally, in the 64 round, number six, Better Off Dead, taking on number 11, Faces of Death. <laughs> it's got to be Better it's Off Dead. It's a death dead. match. It's yes. a death match. To the death. Better Off Dead. That's Better I Off Dead. I got you three dollars. Better Off Dead moves on. And so that's all for round one. Coming up next, who's making it into the Sweet 16? Creepy Crawlers. Creepy Crawlers. Creepy Crawlers. You can make all kinds of lovely things like these with Mattel's wonderful Thing Maker. It makes creepy crawlers, spiders, lizards, snakes, dragonflies. Make them yourself with this nice plastic goop. Choose a mold, pour in the goop, heat it, and presto change You've got bugs. Squiggly, squirty bugs. They feel so soft and natural. You get four different colors of goop and special paints. Make charming lizard pins or spider rings. You can collect them or spread them around. After all, they are fun for the entire family. <laughs> get Mattel's new thing maker with creepy crawlers. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. Along with St. Patrick's Day, March Madness, and the Vernal Equinox, this month also has the Ides of March, where on March 15th in 44 B.C., Julius Caesar was assassinated. In honor of this famous bloodletting, we present an oration from the great Lord Buckley. Lord Buckley, actually Richard Merle Buckley, was a performer who Bob Dylan called the hipster bebop preacher who defied all labels. In the 1950s, Buckley took on the persona of a beatnik member of the British aristocracy. He used hipster slang to retell historical or legendary events. Not the hipster of today, but that of the beat generation. Buckley also did his version of some documents, like the Gettysburg Address and our offering today, Mark Anthony's funeral oration from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. 
So as the house lights go down and a wax-mustached man with a pith helmet enters the stage, let's give up some snaps for the beatnik baron himself, Lord Buckley. Hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping daddies, knock me your lobes. I came to lay Caesar out, not to hip you to him. The bad jazz that a cat blows wails long after he's cut out. The groovy is often stashed with their frames. So don't put Caesar down. The swinging Brutus hath laid a story on you that Caesar was hungry for power. If it were so, it was a sad drag, and sadly hath the Caesar cat answered it. Here, with a pass from Brutus and the other brass, for Brutus is a worthy stud, yea, so are they all worthy studs, though their stallions never sleep. I came to wail at Caesar's wake. He was my buddy, and he leveled with me. Yet Brutus digs that he has eyes for power, and Brutus is a solid cat. It is true he hath returned with many freaks in chains, brought them home to Rome, Yea, the looty was booty, and hip the treasury well. Dost thou dig that this was Caesar's groove for the push? When the cats with the empty kicks hath copped out. Yea, Caesar hath copped out too, and cried of a storm to be a world grabber, a stiffer riff must be blown. Without dread, a stud can't even rule an anthill. Yet Brutus was swinging for the moon. And yea, Brutus is a worthy stud. And all you cats were gassed on the Lupacar when he came on like a king freak. Three times I lay the kingly wig on him and thrice did he put it down. Was this the move of a greedy hipster? Yet Brutus said he dug the lick. And yes, a hippocat has never blown. Some claim that Brutus's story was a gag. But I dug the story was solid. I came here to blow. Now stay cool while I blow. You all dug him once because you were hipped that he was solid. How can you now come on so square now that he is tapped out of this world? City Hall is flipped and swung to a drunken zoo. And all of you cats are goofed to Wig City. Dig me hard. My ticker is in the coffin there with Caesar 
And yea, I must stay cool till it flippeth back to me. On your mark, ready, set, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, baby. <laughs> On your mark, ready, set, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Alright baby, we're back! The round two, here we go! So we're gonna start out in region number one again. Don't dream it, live it. So we've got the number one seed, Rocky Horror Picture Show, taking on the number nine seed, Omega Man. Oh, I gotta go with Omega Man. Omega Man is so great. But Rocky Horror Picture Show is, you know, considered to be one of the greatest things. I don't know. Do you go with love or, you know, what everybody else likes? I don't know. We're going to go with uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And Rocky Horror moves on to the Sweet 16. Ah, Charlton Heston's rolling in his grave. <laughs> Next up, we got the four-seed Napoleon Dynamite taking on the Dark Crystal. Yeah, it's still got to be Dark Crystal. It is, dude. I gotta go with uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And the four seed moves on. Napoleon Dynamite moves on. Curses! What is this committee? <laughs> well, that's why we play the games. You know, on paper they could just. <laughs> so we got the number two seed, Days and Confused, taking on number seven, Caddyshack. Uh, I'm gonna go with Days and Confused. I'm gonna go with Days and Confused as well. Days and Confused moves on to the Sweet Sixteen. Next up. Number three, Pee-wee's Big Adventure taking on the six seed Brazil. A uh, tough one. Tough, but it's still got to be Pee-wee. I, I got to go with Pee-wee as well. Pee-wee moves on to the Sweet 16. Next, we're going over to bracket number four, the Deadite region. So we've got number one, Evil Dead taking on number eight seed, Brick. Who's the winner? Uh, got to be Evil Dead. Uh, it kills me to say, but Evil Dead. Evil Dead moves on. That was a tough one. Next up. Number 13 seed, Labyrinth, coming off a tough one off 12 Monkeys, takes on the number 12 seed, Blues Brothers. Ah, uh, Blues Brothers. I got to go with Labyrinth, man. I love David uh, Bowie. And the movie with the music moves on the Labyrinth. Uh, did you see what I did there? Because Blues Brothers has music, too. I, <laughs> I do. Uh, number did. two seed, Blade Runner, taking on the number 10, the George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. Who's the uh, winner? It's got to be Blade Runner because it's beautiful. I, I got to go with Blade Runner as well. Blade Runner moves on to the Sweet 16. Next up, we got the number 14 seed, Legend, taking on the number 11 seed, They Live. Who's the cult classic winner uh, of that round? Legend, because They Live is kind of low rent. Yeah, I got to go with Legend as well. Legend moves on. Next up, we're going to head over to the region number two, the Holy Hand Grenade region. We got number one, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, taking on the number nine seed, Escape from New York. Who moves on to the Sweet uh, 16? The Holy Grail, in my part. Yeah, I, I got to go with the uh, Constitutional Peasant, the Holy Grail. Holy Grail moves on to the Sweet 16. We got the four seed, the Princess Bride, taking on the number five seed, Big Trouble in Little China. Ah, oh, Big Trouble in Little China. Stomps oh, on it. Oh, man. There's no, there's no challenge. I got to go with Princess Bride. And the number four seed moves on, the Princess Bride. Ah, curses. <laughs> Number two seed, The Big Lebowski, taking on the number 10 seed, The Thing. A lot uh, of John Carpenter showing up in this bracket. I love it, but I, gotta, I love it more for The Thing. You know what? i got to go with The Thing, too, just because uh, it's it's our favorite. People people are going to bow out right now. <laughs> right there. Well, the Lebowski the, is their thing, but the, I we're doing The Thing. The Thing moves on to Sweet 16, upsetting the big number two, Big Lebowski. 
Next up, the final bracket of this region, number 14, Amazon Women on the Moon, taking on the number 11 seed, Dead Alive. Who moves on to the Sweet 16? Oh, Amazon Women. Oh, man. Dead Alive is one hot Latin number, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to have to go with Amazon Women on the Moon. Amazon Women is a Cinderella so far. Number 14, upsetting the 11 seed. Next up, region number three. Lick My Love Pump region. Number one seed, th this is Spinal Tap, taking on the number eight seed, Clue. Who you got? Uh, tough, but Spinal Tap must win. Oh, I think Spinal Tap, yeah. Spinal Tap, moving That's on. Riddle, though. That was yeah. a tough one. Next up, number 13, Kids, versus number 12, Logan's Run. Oh, well, Logan's Run. Yeah, that's not even a, a challenge. Logan's Run. Logan's Run moves on. Next up, we got the number two seed, Clerks, taking on number 10 seed, Edward Scissorhands. Oh, Edward, Who punches their ticket? It's got to be Edward Scissorhands. I got to go with the uh, with Clerks. And Clerks moves on. What the heck? <laughs> this is not personal. <laughs> the committee just makes their decision. <laughs> Next up, the number three seed, Fight Club, coming up against the number six seed, Better Off Dead. Oh, tough. I'm going to go with Better Off Dead. I am going to go with Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead moves on. And that is the end of round two. As everybody knows, Leonard Nimoy, the great actor and cultural icon, passed away last month. He inhabited many characters over his career, including his best-known, Mr. Spock. But here we know him best for his great show In Search Of, and for never saying no to an audio project, no matter how risky or how goofy. So in the great man's honor, we offer you a small sample. Lost Civilizations extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. In search of cameras are traveling the world, seeking out these great mysteries. This program was the result of the work of scientists, researchers, and a group of highly skilled technicians. I took care of that control agent. He was meeting another agent who I recognized. Maxwell Smart. No, I never came across him. You never will. I'm going back to that bus station. Pick up his trail. And when the time is right, I'll kill him. If we start buzzing about down there, we're liable to find their mental power is so great, they could reach out and swap this ship as though it were a fly. Fortunately, my ancestors spawned in another ocean than yours did. My blood cells are quite different. There's a tiger, tiger burning bright in the forest of the night. Once upon a midnight dreary while I pondered weak and weary. You heard the mathematics of it. In a month, you'll have as much in common with us as we'd have with a ship full of white mice. The readings are perfectly normal for me, Doctor. Thank you. And what is it that makes one man an exceptional leader? We see here indications that it is his negative side which makes him strong. That his evil side, if you will, properly controlled and disciplined, is vital to his strength. The fact that my internal arrangement differs from yours, Doctor, pleases me no end. In the middle of the earth, in the land of Shire, lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him, Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. 
Hobbits are peace-loving folks, you know. They're never in a hurry and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. But one day Bilbo was asked to go on a big adventure to the caves below to help some dwarves get back their gold that was stolen by a dragon in the days of old Bilbo. clock sang. Tick-tock, seven o'clock. Time to get up. Time to get up. Seven o'clock. As if it were afraid that nobody would. The morning house lay empty. The clock ticked on, repeating and repeating its sounds into the emptiness. Seven-nine. Breakfast time. Seven-nine. In the kitchen, the breakfast stove gave a hissing sigh. From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. And I find them highly illogical. Girl meets boy. They fall in love. She says he's everything she's dreamed of. But when they get married, before he's aware, she changes his habits, the way he combs his hair. She changes him to someone he's never been, and then complains he's not like other men. Now really, I find this most illogical. Take the case of your automobiles. 
greatest invention since man discovered wheels. Hydromatic overdrive, floor on the floor. Push button windows, push button doors. Double barrel carburetors rush you any place, but you never can find a parking space. Highly illogical. Take the case of modern man. He works all his life, gives it all he can, saves all his money, works overtime, pinches every penny, banks every dime. All he can think about is money, but you know that he can't take it with him where he's going to go. Now I find that fascinatingly illogical. Now is the time to journey home, to tell of what I've learned. My people, I believe, have every right to be concerned. For in spite of computers and advanced psychology, behavior patterns are still a mystery. I predict the future of this earthly human race is that having made a mess of Earth, they'll move to outer space. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Totally, completely, absolutely, irrevocably, highly, illogical. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even the dull and ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity disenchantment. It is perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself with imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, 
whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations, in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul, with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be careful, strive to be happy. fans we're back so who's going to be crowned the cult classic champion we're into the round of the sweet 16 so starting off in the don't dream it live it region we got rocky horror picture show 
taking on the number four seed, Napoleon Dynamite. Who moves on? Uh, Rocky Horror must survive. I got Napoleon Dynamite. What? I, I love Napoleon. Rocky Horror moves on. Finally. Oh, finally. Bitter. Justified. And we got the number two seed, Days of Confuse, taking on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Who moves uh, on? Oh, Pee-wee must survive. I, Pee-wee's got to do it. Moving in to the semifinals for that bracket, Pee-wee's Big Adventure moves on. Next up in the Deadite region, we've got the Evil Dead taking on the Labyrinth. Who wins? Oh, the Evil Dead. Uh, there's not even a, a question. Evil Dead. Evil Dead, moving on. And we've got the number two seed Blade Runner taking on number 14 seed Legend. Oh, both by the same director. But Blade <laughs> oh, Runner must triumph. Oh, how can someone fight themselves, Frank <laughs> Oh, I do it all the time. Blade Runner, Blade Runner. <laughs> so we've got in that semifinal, Evil Dead taking on Blade Runner. Who will win that one? Next up, we're in round... Region 2, the Holy Hand Grenade region. So we've got Monty Python and the Holy Grail taking on the four-seed Princess Bride. Who wins? Oh, Monty Python. Monty Python. Wow, I'm going to go with Princess Bride. And Monty Python moves on. Oh, yes. man. And down below, we've got the number 10 seed, fresh off its upset over the Big Lebowski, the number 10 seed, The Thing, taking on the number 14 seed, Amazon Women on the Moon. Uh, the Thing must triumph. It's such, I, such a good movie. I, I, dude, there's a nude woman in church, but <laughs> I got to go with The Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon Woman had a nice run, but The Thing moves on to take on the Monty Python. Next up, Region 3, the Lick My Love Pump region. We've got This Is Spinal Tap taking on the number 12 seed, Logan's Run. Oh. Frank Rydberg is a tough, tough call. <laughs> it's tough, but I must stick with Logan's Run. I I gotta go with Logan's Run, man. Logan's Run pulls off the upset. This is Spinal Tap is out of the tournament. And finally, down below, we've got the number two seed Clerks taking off the number six seed Better Off Dead. Who moves on? Oh, Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead beats Clerks. Unbelievable. So that does it for the Sweet 16. We've got eight pitchers left. Who will be crowned the Colt Classic champion? Stick around. America, here we go. Jump Jams, Volume 3. Jump Jams, Volume 3. I love it, baby. I love it. Jump Jams, Volume 3. I can't believe it. I mean, it's the best Jump Jams ever. Jock Jams, Volume 3, from ESPN and Tommy Boy Music. It's awesome, baby! Hey, you know what? We haven't had an Irish drinking song yet. Well, I've got just the remedy. How about this? Gather round ye lads and lasses, set ye for a while, and hearken to me mournful tale about the Emerald Isle. Let's all raise our glasses high to friends and family gone, and lift our voices in another Irish drinking song. Consumption took me mother and me father got the pox. Me brother drank the whiskey till he wound up in a box. Me other brother in the troubles met with his demise. Me sister has forever closed her smiling Irish eyes. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, 
and then go drinking once again. Kenny was killed in Kilkenny, and Claire, she died in Clare. Tip from Tipperary died out in the Denier. Shannon jumped into the river, Shannon back in June. Ernie fell into the urn, and Tom is in the tomb. Cleanliness is godliness, me Uncle Pat would sing. He broke his neck, slipping on a bar of Irish ping. Oh, Grady, he was 80, though his bride was just a pup. He died upon the honeymoon when she got his Irish up. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then go drinking once again. Joe Murphy fought with Riley near the cliffs of Old Deneen. He took out his shillelagh and he stabbed him in the spleen. Where crazy Uncle Mike thought he was a leprechaun, but in fact he's just a leopard and his arms and legs are gone. When Timmy Johnson broke his neck, it was a crying shame. He wasn't really Irish, but he went to Notre Dame. McNamara crossed the street and by a bus was hit, but he was just a Scotsman, so nobody gave a shit. Oh. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then go drinking once again. Drunken Uncle Brendan tried to drive home from the bar. The road rose up to meet him when he fell out of his car. Irony was what befell me great-grand-uncle Sam. He choked upon the very last potato in the land. Connor lived in Ulster Town, he used to smuggle arms. Until the British killed him and cut off his lucky charms. And dear old Father Flanagan, who left the Lord's employ, drunk on sacramental wine beneath the altar. Oh. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then go drinking once again. Someday soon I'll leave this world of pain and toil and sin. The Lord will take me by the hand to join all of me kin. Me only wish is when the Savior comes for me and you. He kills the cast of Riverdance and Michael Flatley too. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink him once again. Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink him once again. Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. So we're down to eight films. So coming out of the Don't Dream It, Live It region, we've got the number one seed, Rocky Horror Picture Show, taking on the number three seed, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Who's going to the final four? Uh, that's tough. i got to go with the Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I, I absolutely have to go with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Pee-wee's Big Adventure punches his ticket to the final four. In the Deadite region, we've got the Evil Dead taking on the number two seed, the Blade Runner. Who moves forward? Uh, you know, because it's called classic, I gotta go with Evil Dead. 
I was going to go with Blade Runner, but somebody in South Africa killed somebody and ruined it for me. So I'm going with Evil Dead as well. I don't know what that means, but Evil Dead's going to the final four. In the Holy Hand Grenade region, we've got the Monty Python and the Holy Grail taking on the thing. Who moves forward? Uh, well, there again, I guess because it's a cult classic, I'm going with Monty Python because I love the thing more than, you know, ice cream. But, uh, yeah. Monty Python and the Holy Grail for me. I'm going to have to be shocked and, and go with the thing. I, I, I have to go with the thing. And it's a triple overtime. Great game. A shot at the three-point to win it. Monty Python moves on to the final four. <laughs> oh, man, that was riveting. That was an exciting game. <laughs> and finally, in the Lick My Love Pump region, we've got Logan's Run, the 12th seed, taking on the number six seed, Better Off Dead. Who's going forward? Uh, it's tough, but I think it's going to be better off dead in the, in this particular contest. I am going against Frank on every whim that I have. <laughs> Logan's run. Holy crap. Blue planes, Frankton. <laughs> Service from the sea. Whatever. It's my job, you know. <laughs> come on. Come on. I got, you know, where's my $2? Come on. Right. And Logan's run throws up a three-pointer and sinks it, but they still lose by five. Better off dead oh. moves on. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, so we have in the final four of our cult classics from the field of 64, in the Don't Dream It, Live It region, we've got Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Representing the Deadite region, we've got the Evil Dead in region two, the Holy Hand Grenade, the number one seed Monty Python, moving on. Okay. In the Lick My Love Pump region, for all the French toast lovers and the French fry lovers, Better Off Dead will represent that region. Coming up, the final four. Now, this program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Budgicle, and Creamsicle. Those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you. The famous winner of the typical American boy contest has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him. Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. And boy, am I glad I was picked to be the typical American boy. Because now I'm Popsicle Pete. I always wanted to be on the radio. And now I have a chance to tell you about some wonderful presents you can get. Free. Do you want to see them? Hundreds of them. You get them just for saving bags from Misty Popsicle, Pudgicle, and Creamsicle. Some gifts, even better than Christmas. You can get a wristwatch, a movie camera, table tennis, a wallet, a doll. See, lots of gifts. Just save the bags from pop Popsicle, Creamsicle, and Pudgicle on a handy stick. Boy, do they taste good. Wholesome, too, and nourishing. Made fresh every day of the finest ingredients. The biggest five cents worth anywhere. And say, kids... Get the free illustrated Popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. A free coupon comes with it, worth 10 bags. Right about now, you're about to be possessed by the sounds of MC Raw Face and DJ Easy All right, sports fans, this is Greg Vitale. Along here with James Costas and Frank Rosell. We're down to the final four cult classic films. Let's break down the films a little bit, shall we, fellas? In the Don't Dream and Live It, we've got Pee-wee's Big Adventure. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Well, I hated the film when I saw the first five minutes of it years <laughs> ago. And then when later you guys convinced me to watch the rest of it, it's become one of my favorite films. It, who doesn't love a man-child? But besides that, there was all the wonderful characters in there 
including uh, who was Mr. Impossible? No. What was that character? Who had the suction cups on his head? Amazing Larry. <laughs> Amazing Larry. <laughs> who, uh, if you don't know, was also uh, in Seinfeld. He was the, the ass man, the doctor. Uh... <laughs> That's Very Amazing good. Larry. Perfect. Yes. I mean, I've, uh, there's pl- plenty of things to say. They have a Rube Goldberg machine in there, and they have uh, 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 the greatest bike of all time. I mean, who doesn't love Dottie, and who doesn't love the best line of all time? What'd you do to get in jail, man? <laughs> You know those tags on mattresses? Yeah, that say you shouldn't cut them off? What'd you do? Well, I got real mad, and I took a knife, and I cut one off. I always thought that was the dumbest law. Very nice. What's our next film? Why don't you get out of the car, officer? <laughs> I just want to look at look, take a picture of that lovely dress you <laughs> It's a great one. Down in the holy hand grenade, we got the number two seat, the Monty Python. Well, what can you say? There's so many different things in that, so many bits throughout the whole film, and it is a classic. I can't remember a time when I didn't have hadn't seen the Monty Python Holy Grail. Uh, the one the first time I saw the whole thing is when I got a black and white TV in my room and we could watch any <laughs> darn thing we wanted, and that was it on cable. I mean, who doesn't love Monty Python, right? And this is probably, or not probably, it is their best film. So. I, I mean, I, it's it's a great film. What, what could we say? Very quotable. Uh, uh, very well uh, placed here in this in this final four. In the number three region, we got the Lick of My Love Pump region, the Better Off Dead. What do you think of that film? Yeah, well, that David Mara introduced me to that film, and, and uh, it's just spectacular from start to finish, from when he's hanging himself to, uh, to all the way when... Uh, He's taken off with his car, and the guy's still chasing him for his $2. <laughs> who who can come up with a movie? It's a teenage film. You're selling it, and it's about somebody trying to commit suicide, and it's the funniest damn thing you've ever seen. It might not work in this day and age, but, that but it should. <laughs> All right? What's that, that was a favorite of my dad's, and he loved when uh, his favorite line was, uh, it's a damn shame throwing a perfectly good white boy out, <laughs> or something like that. Finally, another very valiant competitor in the in the Deadite region. We have the Evil Dead. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful classic. Um, you know, we got tree rape in it. First of all, <laughs> hey, wait a minute! You said you didn't like rape films. <laughs> well, when it comes to a tree, I do. But no, the Evil Dead, um, and I throw in Evil Dead Two, and just consider them both the all same encompassing. Film. That was the beginning of my love affair with Bruce Campbell. That film. And Absolutely, it's never ended to him playing Santa Claus in that last lousy, uh, what was it, the librarian TV show that was on. <laughs> but anyway, um, was that a dream you had? Or... No, it's <laughs> it real. Watch it. Yeah, he was on the librarians with a weird and, bag over his head. And I think it was the early '90s, and you guys had saw the Army of Darkness, and, and I was over, and you guys showed me the Evil Dead, and it was great. It was a love affair. And... You guys saw it out of order, I think. I got to see it in order, and I don't think it makes a difference. But No, I actually, years before, uh, Leslie, my friend, sh- showed me Evil Dead, then Evil Dead 2. So I saw ah, it in good. the right order. Very good. You know, the beautiful thing about this movie is uh, when I was in the Boy Scouts, 
I actually was told the story of this movie before I saw it as a as a ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the Joker that did that? No, or? Daniel Shespin. Wherever you are, man, I love you for it because I was totally freaked out. And one day we saw it, and I'm like, "Holy crap, that's that movie!" And I was equally psyched. I'm and the guy who lived that movie. film, <laughs> yeah, right? It wasn't even presented. It was presented as a film, so it wasn't. But I mean, I, I knew it, and I I never knew the name. You know, I was. In, junior high or something I didn't even know and uh, I finally saw it you know in high school and I said oh my god that's the movie so uh, I, I do have a, a love affair with that movie as well now unfortunately we come to the time the difficult we challenge decide so we're back okay so we've got the number in the number one region don't dream it live it we got Pee-wee's big adventure taking on the evil dead uh, Who uh, moves uh, on man, that is to the, so to the final? That is crazy. Uh, but I have to go with Pee Wee. I have to go with Pee Wee. Uh, I don't know why I have to go with Pee Wee, but I'm I'm going to. Do you have something to share with the rest of us, Amanda? <laughs> oh my God! Evil Dead is such an awesome film, and I love Pee Wee. Oh man. All right, just because I hate Frank, I'm going with the other one, <laughs> the Evil Dead. And just because I hate you, I'm picking Pee Wee. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. It's because I like the movie. Pee-wee that survives. was just a. All right, very good. So Pee Wee moves on to the finals, and who will Pee Wee face? We've got the Holy Hand Grenade region, the winner of that region, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, taken on. The Lick My Love Pump region winner, Better Off Dead. Who's the winner there? Uh, ooh, six seed, six seed. <laughs> it's tough, but I'm, I'm going to go with Monty Python. Uh, some of that's more nostalgic because I saw that when I was a kid. But also, it, it's a brilliant movie, and it's hard to come up against that. Well, you know I have a fascination with teen films, so I'm going to go with Ted. <laughs> Better Off Ted. <laughs> I mean, who could forget, I, you know, where's my $2, man? I I gotta go with, and that's in my generation. So, generation against generation. Well, I I have to say that I do like the point guard play of the better off dead team. So they're the winner. They're moving on to the finals. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to crown a champion. We've got the perennial favorite, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, taking on that 80s classic, Better Off Dead. What do you think, boys? Well, it's pretty tough, but I'm going to go with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It, uh, it's one of the most beautiful films. It's a complete film. For the type of film it is, it's perfect. Uh, you can't take anything out of it without the whole thing collapsing. So I'm going with Pee-wee. Well, Frank, like always, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go with Better Off Dead. And here's why. They got a brother that, that's uh, building a spaceship in the in the garage. They got Booger, right, from... from uh, from visitors uh, snorting jello, <laughs> saying he's skiing on one ski. <laughs> they got a, a happy ending and, and, and a foreign exchange student. They got a mother that can't cook. They got suicide. They got everything. Better off dead. 
So I think the winner is clearly, it's the one that had a strong male lead in, in the movie. It's the one that had claymation. It's the one that had bicycles involved in it. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the winner. Yay! <laughs> yes. Clearly, you fooled the champion. There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. So, folks, there you have it. The first annual SISG March Madness Brackets, the cult classic winner, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Take that, Better Off Dead fans. <laughs> Here's a nice little story. There was an old man down in County Kerry, 90 years old, and he was deaf, and he couldn't hear as well. And he had a parrot. Now, this parrot was a better talker than I am, and that's saying something. And he had this parrot on a perch inside the front door. One night, he went to bed. Of course, he went to bed every night, but <laughs> this is a special night. And the next morning, there's a knock at the door. You see? It's the milkman. And the parrot inside the door said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. And the parrot said, who is it? I hope to God I remember the ending of this. <laughs> and the parrot said, who is it? He said, it's the milkman. This went on for four hours. I won't bore you with the details. Eventually, the milkman passed out with exhaustion on the, on the outside the door, answering this thing back. Just then, the old man upstairs thought he heard something, and he came down, and he said, Who is it? And the parrot said, It's the milkman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, SISG presents a reading from The Quiet Man. Written by Maurice Walsh in 1933, it was originally published in the Saturday Evening Post. This story, as one might guess, is the source material for John Ford's classic of the same name, starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. The Quiet Man by Maurice Walsh Sean Kelvin, a blithe young lad of twenty, went to the States to seek his fortune, and fifteen years thereafter he returned to his native Kerry, his blitheness sobered and his youth dried to the core. And whether he had made his fortune or whether he had not, no one could be knowing for certain. For he was a quiet man, not given to talking about himself and the things he had done. A quiet man, under middle size, with strong shoulders and deep-set blue eyes, below brows darker than his dark hair. That was Sean Kelvin. One shoulder had a trick of haunching slightly higher than the other, 
and some folks said that it came from a habit he had of shielding his eyes in the glare of an open hearth furnace in a place called Pittsburgh, while others said it used to be a way he had of guarding his chin. That time he was sort of a sparring partner, punching bag, at a boxing camp. Sean Kelvin came home and found that he was the last of the Kelvins, and that the farm of his forefathers had added its few acres to the ranch of Big Liam O'Grady of Moivala. Sean took no action to recover his land, though O'Grady had gotten it meanly. He had had enough of fighting, and all he wanted now was peace. He quietly went amongst the old and kindly friends and quietly looked about him for the place and peace he wanted, and when the time came, quietly produced the money for a neat, handy, small farm on the first warm shoulder of Nakanor Hill below the rolling curves of heather. It was not a big place, but it was in good heart, and it got all the sun that was going, and, best of all, it suited Sean to the tip-top notch of contentment, and though his friends hinted at his needs and obligations, no thought came to him of bringing a wife into the place. Yet fate had the thought and the dream in her loom for him. One middling imitation of a man he had to do his chores for him, an ex-Navy pensioner handy enough about the house and buyer, but with no relish for the sustained work of the field, and indeed, as long as he kept house and buyer ship shape, he found Sean an easy master. Sean himself was no drudge toiler. He knew all about drudgery and the way it wears out a man's soul. He plowed a little and sowed a little, and at the end of a furrow, he would lean on the handles of the cultivator, wipe his brow if it needed wiping, and lose himself for whole minutes in the great green curve of the sea out there beyond the high black portals of Shannon Mouth. And sometimes of an evening he would see, under the glory of the sky, the faint smoke smudge of an American liner. Then he would smile to himself, a pitying smile, thinking of the poor devils with dreams of fortune luring them, going out to sweat in Ironville, or to bootleg bad whiskey down the hidden way, or to stand in a bread line. All these things were behind Sean forever. And on Sundays, Sean used to go to church. Three miles down to the gray chapel above the black cliffs of Dune Bay, there fate laid her lure for him. Sitting quietly on his wooden bench or kneeling on the dusty footboard, he would fix his steadfast, deep-set eyes on the vestmented celebrant and say his prayers slowly or go into that strange trance beyond dreams and visions where the soul is almost at one with the unknowable. But after a time, Sean's eyes no longer fixed themselves on the celebrant. They went no farther than two seats ahead. A girl sat there. Sunday after Sunday, she sat in front of him, and Sunday after Sunday, his first casual admiration grew warmer. She had a white nape to her neck and short red hair above it, and Sean liked the color and wave of that flame. And he liked the set of her shoulders and the way the white neck had of leaning a little forward and she at her prayers or her dreams. And the service over, Sean used to stay at his seat so that he might get one quick but sure look at her face as she passed out. And he liked her face too, the wide set gray eyes, cheekbones firmly curved, clean molded lips, austere yet sensitive. And he smiled pityingly at himself that one of her names 
should make his pulse stir, for she was an O'Grady. One person only in the crowded chapel noted Sean's look and the thought behind the look. Not the girl, her brother, Big Liam O'Grady of Moivala, the very man who, as good as stole the Kelvin Acres. And that man smiled to himself, to the ugly, contemptuous smile that was his by nature. And, after another habit he had, he tucked away his bit of knowledge against a day when it might come in useful for his own purposes. The girl's name was Ellen, Ellen O'Grady, but a truth she was no longer a girl. She was past her first youth into the second one that had no definite ending. She might be thirty, she was no less, but there was not a lad in the countryside who would say that she was past her prime. The poise of her and the firm set of her bones below clean skin saved her from the fading of mere prettiness. Though she had been sought in marriage more than once, she had accepted no one, or, rather, had not been allowed to encourage anyone. Her brother saw to that. Big Liam himself was not a marrying man. There were not many spinsters with a dowry big enough to tempt him and the few there had acquired expensive tastes, a convent education, the deplorable art of hitting jazz out of a piano, the damnable vice of cigarette smoking, the purse, emptying craze for motor cars, such things. But in due time, the dowry and the place, with a woman tied to them, came under his nose, and Big Liam was no longer tardy. His neighbor, James Carey, died in March and left his fine farm and all on it to his widow, a youngest woman without children, a woman with a hard name for saving pennies. Big Liam looked once at Kathy Carey and looked many times at her broad acres. Both pleased him. He took the steps required by tradition. In the very first week of the following Strovetide, he sent an accredited emissary to open formal negotiations, and the emissary came back within the hour. My soul, said he, but she is the quick one. I hadn't ten words out of me when she was down my throat. I am in no hurry, says she, to come wife to a house with another woman at the fire corner. When Ellen is in a place of her own, I will listen to what Liam O'Grady has to say. She will, by Jockus, Big Liam stopped him. She will so. There, now was the right time to recall Sean Kelvin and the look in his eyes. Big Liam's mind corner promptly delivered up its memory. He smiled knowingly and contemptuously. Sean Kelvin daring to cast sheep's eye at an O'Grady, the undersized chicken heart who took the loss of the Kelvin acres lying down, the little Yankee runt hidden away on the shelf of Nakanor. But what of it? The required dowry would be conventionally small, and the girl would never go hungry anyway. There was Big Liam O'Grady, far descended from many chieftains. The very next market day at Listow, he sought out Sean Kelvin and placed a huge sandy-haired hand on his shoulder that hunched to meet it. Sean Kelvin, a word with you. Come and have a drink. Sean hesitated. Very well, he said then. He did not care for O'Grady, but he would hurt no man's feelings. They went across to Sullivan's bar and had a drink, and Sean paid for it and Big Liam came directly to the subject, almost patronizingly, as if it were conferring a favor. I want to see Ellen settled in a place of her own, said he. Sean's heart lifted into his throat and stayed there, 
But that steadfast face with the steadfast eyes gave no sign, and moreover, he could not say a word with his heart where it was. Your place is small, went on the big man, but it is and no load of debt on it, as I hear. Not much of a dowry ever came to Nakanor, and not much of a dowry can I be given with Ellen. Say two hundred pounds at the end of harvest, if prices improve. What do you say, Sean Kelvin? Sean swallowed his heart, and his voice came slow and cool. What does Ellen say? I haven't asked her, said Big Liam. But what would she say, blast it? Whatever she says, she will say it herself, not you, Big Liam. But what could Ellen say? She looked within her own heart and found it empty. She looked at the granite crag of her brother's face and contemplated herself a slowly withering spinster at his fire corner. She looked up at the swell of Nakanor Hill and saw the white college among the green small fields below the warm brown of the heather. Oh, but the sun would shine up there in the lengthening spring day and pleasant breezes blow in sultry summer. And finally she looked at Sean Kelvin, that firmly built small man with the clean face and the lustrous eyes below a steadfast brow. She said a prayer to her God and sank head and shoulders in a resignation more pitiful than tears, more proud than the pride of chieftains. Romance, well anyway. Sean was far from satisfied with resigned acceptance, but then was not the time to press for a warmer one. He knew the brother's wizened soul, guessed at the girl's clean one, and saw that she was doomed beyond hope to a fireside sordidly bought for her. Let it be his own fireside then. There were many worse ones, and God was good. Ellen O'Grady married Sean Kelvin. One small statement, and it holds the risk of tragedy, the chance of happiness, the probability of mere endurance, choices wide as the world. Women in the outside world begin by loving their husbands, and then, if fate is kind, they grow to admire them. And if fate is not unkind, may descend no lower than liking and enduring, and there is the end of lawful romance. Look now at Ellen O'Grady. She came up to the shelf of Nakanor, and in her heart was only a nucleus of fear in a great emptiness. And that nucleus might grow into horror and disgust, but glory of God, she, for reason piled on reason, presently found herself admiring Sean Kelvin, and with or without reason, a quiet liking came to her for the quiet man who was so gentle and considerate. And then, one great heart-stirring dark o' night, she found herself fallen head over heels in love with her own husband. There is the sort of love that endures. But the road to it is a mighty chancy one. A woman loving her husband may or may not be proud of him, but she will fight like a tiger if anyone barring herself belittles him. And there was one man that belittled Sean Kelvin, her brother, Big Liam O'Grady. At fair or market or chapel, that dour giant deemed not to hide his contempt and dislike. Ellen knew why. He had lost a wife and farm. He had lost in herself a frugally cheap housekeeper. He had been made the butt of a sly humor. And for these mishaps, in some twisted way, he blamed Sean. But... And there came the contempt, the little Yankee runt, who dared say nothing about the lost Kelvin Acres, would not now have the gall or guts to demand the dowry that was due. Lucky the hound to steal an O'Grady to hungry Nakanor, 
Let him be satisfied with that luck. One evening before a market day, Ellen spoke to her husband. Has Big Liam paid you my dowry yet, Sean? Sure, there's no hurry, girl, said Sean. Have you ever asked him? I have not. I am not looking for your dowry, Ellen. And Big Liam could never understand that. Her voice firm. You will ask him tomorrow. Very well, so agra, agreed Sean easily. And the next day, in that quiet, diffident way of his, he asked Big Liam. But Big Liam was brusque and brunt. He had no loose money, and Kelvin would have to wait till he had. Ask me again, Shaneen. He finished his face in a mocking smile, and turning on his heel, he plowed his great shoulders through the crowded market. His voice had been carelessly loud, and people had heard. They laughed and talked amongst themselves. Be gobs, the devil's own boy, Big Liam. What a pup to sell, stealing the land and keeping a grip of the fortune. And a dangerous fellow, mind you, the same Big Liam. He would smash little Sean at the wind of a word, and devil a bit his Yankee sparring tricks would help him. A friend of Sean, Matt Tobin, the thresher, heard and lifted his voice. I would like to be there the day Sean Kelvin loses his temper. A bad day for poor Sean. It might then, said Matt Tobin, but I would come from the other end of Kerry to see the badness that would be in it for someone. Sean and Ellen went home in their tub cart and had not a single word or glance for each other on the road. And all that evening at table or fireside a heart-sickened silence held them in its grip. And all that night they laid side by side, still and mute. There was only one subject that possessed them, and on that they dared speak no longer. They slept little. Ellen, her heart desolate, lay on her side, staring into the dark, grieving for what she had said and unable to unsay it. Sean on his back contemplated things with a cold clarity. He realized that he was at the fork of life and that a finger pointed unmistakably. He must risk the very shattering of all happiness. He must do a thing so final and decisive that once done would never again be questioned. Before morning he came to his decision, and it was a bitter as gall. He cursed himself. Oh, you fool, you might have known that you should never have taken an O'Grady without breaking the O'Grady's. He got up early in the morning at his usual hour and went out, as usual, to the morning chores, rebedding and foddering the cattle, rubbing down the half-bread, helping the servant maid with the milk and creaming pans, and, as usual, he came in to his breakfast and ate it unhungrily and silently, which was not usual. But thereafter he began, went out to stable, harnessed his gelding, and hitched him to a tub cart. Then he returned to the kitchen and spoke for the first time. Ellen, will you come with me to see your brother? She hesitated, her hands thrown wide in a helpless, hopeless gesture. Little use you going to see my brother, Sean. Tis I should go and not come back. Don't blame me now or later, Ellen. It has been put on me and the thing I am going to do is the only thing to be done. Will you come? Very well, she agreed tonelessly. I will be ready in a minute. And they went the four miles down into the vale to the big farmhouse of Moivala. They drove into the great square and cobbled yard and found it empty. On one side of the square was a long, low, lime-washed dwelling house. On the other, fifty yards away, 
the two-storied line of steadings with a wide arch in the middle, and through the arch came the purr and zoom of a threshing machine. Sean tied the half-bread to the wheel of a farm cart, and with Ellen, approached the house. A slattern servant girl leaned over the kitchen half-door and pointed through the arch. The master was out beyond the haggard, the rickyard, and would she run across for him? Never mind, Archara, said Sean. I'll get him. Ellen, will you go in and wait? No, said Ellen. I'll come with you. She knew her brother. As they went through the arch, the purr and zoom grew louder, and, turning the corner, they walked into the midst of activity. A long double row of cone-pointed cornstacks stretched across the yard and between them. Matt Tobin's portable threshing machine was busy. The smooth-flying eight-foot driving wheel made a sleepy purr, and the black driving belt ran with a sag and a heave to the red-painted thresher. Up there on the platform, bare-armed men were feeding the flying drum with loosened sheaves, their hands moving in a rhythmic sway. As the tooth drum bit at the corn sheaves, it made an angry snarl that changed and slowed into a satisfied zoom. The wide conveying belt was carrying the golden straw up a steep incline to where other men were building a long rick. Still more men were attending to the corn shoots, shoulders bending under the weight of the sacks as they ambled across the granary. Matt Tobin himself bent at the face of his engine, feeding the firebox with sods of hard black peat. There were not less than two score men about the place. For, as it was custom, all Big Liam's friends and neighbors were giving him a hand with the threshing, the day of harvest. Big Liam came round the flank of the engine and swore. He was in short sleeves, and his great forearms were covered with sandy hair. Hell and damnation, look who's here. He was the worst of tempers this morning. The stale dregs of yesterday's whiskey were still with him, and he was in the humor that, as they say, would make a dog bite its father. He took two slow strides and halted, feet apart and head truculently forward. What is it this time, he shouted. That was the un-Irish welcome he gave his sister and her husband. Sean and Ellen came forward steadily, and as they came, Matt Tobin slowly throttled down his engine. Big Liam heard the change in pitch and looked angrily over his shoulder. What the hell do you mean, Tobin? Get on with the work. To hell with you yourself, Big Liam. This is my engine, and if you don't like it, you can leave it. And at that, he drove the throttle shut, and the purr of the flywheel slowly sank. We will see in a minute, threatened Big Liam, and turned to the two now near at hand. What is it, he growled. A private word with you. I won't keep you long, Sean was calm and cold. You will not, on a busy morning, sneered the big man. There is no need for private words between me and Sean Kelvin. There is need, urged Sean. It will be best for all of us if you hear what I have to say in your own house. Or here on my own land. Out with it. I don't care who hears. Sean looked round him, up to the thresher, up on the straw rick. Men leaned idle on fork handles and looked down at him. From here and there about the stockyard, men moved in to see. As it might be, what had caused the stoppage, but only really interested in the two brothers-in-law. He was in the midst of Clan O'Grady. There were mostly O'Grady men, 
big, strong, blond man, rough, confident, proud of the breed. Matt Tobin was the only man he could call a friend. Many of the others were not unfriendly, but all had contempt in their eyes or, what was worst, pity. Very well, since he had to prove himself, it was fitting that he do it here amongst the O'Grady men. John brought his eyes back to Big Liam, deep, steadfast eyes that did not waver. O'Grady said he, and he no longer hid his contempt. You set a great store by money. No harm in that. You do it yourself, Shanine. Take it so. I will play that game with you till hell freezes. You would bargain your sister and cheat. I will sell my soul. Listen, you big brute. You owe me two hundred pounds. Will you pay? There was an iron quality in his voice that was somehow awesome. The big man about to start forward overbearingly restrained himself to a brutal playfulness. I will pay it when I am ready. Today. No, nor tomorrow. Right. If you break your bargain, I break mine. What's that? shouted Big Liam. If you keep your two hundred pounds, you keep your sister. What is it? shouted Big Liam again, his voice breaking in astonishment. What is that you say? You heard me. Here is your sister, Ellen. Keep her. Fires o' hell, he was completely astounded out of his truculence. You can't do that. It is done, said Sean. Ellen O'Grady had been quiet as a statue at Sean's side, but now, slow like doom, she faced him. She leaned forward and looked into his eyes and saw the pain behind the strength. To the mother of your son, Sean Kelvin? She whispered that gently to him. His voice came cold as stone, out of stone face, in the face of God. Let him judge me. I know, I know. That was all she said, and walked quietly across to where Matt Tobin stood at the face of his engine. Matt Tobin placed a hand on his arm. Give him time, Colleen, he whispered urgently. Give him his own time. He's slow, but he's deadly as an ogre when he moves. Big Liam was no fool. He knew exactly how far he could go. There was no use at this juncture in crushing the runt under a great fist. There was some force in the little fellow that defied dragooning. Whatever people might think of Kelvin, public opinion would be dead set against himself. Worse, his inward vision saw eyes leering in derision, mouths open in laughter. The scandal on his name would not be surrounded by the four seas of Aaron. He must change his stance while he still had time. These thoughts passed through his mind while he thudded the ground three times with iron-shod heel. Now he threw up his head and bellowed his laugh. You fool! I was only making fun of you. What are your dirty few pounds to the likes of me? Stay where you are. He turned, strode furiously away, and disappeared through the arch. John Kelvin was left alone in the wide ring of men. The hands had come down off the ricks and thresher to see closer. Now they moved back and aside, looked at one another, lifted eyebrows, looked at Sean Kelvin, frowned and shook their heads. They knew Big Liam. They knew that, yielding up the money, his savagery would break out into something little short of killing. They waited, most of them, to prevent the savagery going too far. Sean Kelvin did not look at anyone. He stood still as a rock, his hands deep in his pockets. One shoulder haunched forward, his eyes on the ground and his face strangely calm. He seemed the least perturbed man here. 
Matt Tobin held Ellen's arm in a steadying grip and whispered in her ear, God is good, tell you. Big Liam was back in two minutes. He strode straight to Sean and halted within a pace of him. Look, Seanine. In his raised hand was a crumpled bundle of greasy banknotes. Here's your money. Take it, and then see what will happen to you. Take it. He thrust it into Sean's hand. Count it. Make sure you have it all. And then when I kick you out of this haggard, and look, he thrust forward a hairy fist, if ever I see your face again, I will drive that through it. Count it, you spawn. Sean did not count it. Instead, he crumpled it up in a ball with his strong fingers. Then he turned on his heel and walked, with surprising slowness, to the face of the engine. He gestured with one hand to Matt Tobin, but it was Ellen, quick as a flash, who obeyed the gesture. Though the hot bar scorched her hand, she jerked open the door at the firebox, and the leaping peat flames whispered out at her. And forthwith, Sean Kelvin, with one easy sweep, threw the crumpled ball of notes into the heart of the flame. The whisper lifted one tone, and one scrap of burned paper floated out of the funnel top. That was all the fuss the fire made of its work. But there was fuss enough outside. Big Liam O'Grady gave one mighty shout. No, it was more an anguished scream than a shout. My money, my good money. He gave two furious bounds forward. His great arms raised to crush and kill, but his hands never touched the small man. You dumb ox, said Sean Kelvin between his teeth. That strong hunched shoulder moved a little, but no one there could follow the terrific drive of that hooked right arm. The smack of bone on bone was sharp as a whip crack, and Big Liam stopped ahead went back on his heels, swayed a moment, and staggered back three paces. Now and forever, man of the Kelvins, roared Matt Tobin. But Big Liam was a man of iron. That blow should have laid him on his back, blows like it had tied men to the ground for the full count. But Big Liam only shook his head, grunted like a boar, and drove in at the little man. And the little man, instead of circling away, drove in at him, compact of power. The men of the O'Grady saw then an exhibition that they had not knowledge enough to appreciate fully. Thousands paid as much as ten dollars each to see the great Tiger Kelvin in action. His footwork, his timing, his hitting, and never was his on more devastating than now. He was a thunderbolt on two feet, and the big man a glutton. Big Liam never touched Sean with clenched fist. He did know not know. Sean actually forty pounds lighter drove him by sheer hitting across the yard. Men for the first time saw a two-hundred man knocked clean off his feet by a body blow. They saw for the first time the deadly restraint and explosion of skill. Sean set out to demolish his enemy in the briefest space of time, and it took him five minutes to do it. Five, six, eight times he knocked the big man down, and the big man came again staggering, slavering, raving, veining, trying to rend and smash. But at last he stood swaying and clawing helplessly, and Sean finished him with his terrible double hit, left below the breastbone and right under the jaw. Big Liam lifted on his toes and fell flat on his back. He did not even kick as he lay. Sean did not waste a glance at the fallen giant. He swung full circle on the O'Grady men, 
and his voice of iron challenged them. I am Sean Kelvin of Nakanor Hill. Is there an O'Grady amongst you thinks himself a better man? Come then. His face was deep carved stone, his great chest lifted, the air whistled through his nostrils. His deep-set flashing eyes dared them. No man came. His face was still of stone, but his voice quivered and had in it all the dramatic force of the Celt. Mother of my son, will you come home with me? She lifted to the appeal, voice and eye. Is it so you ask me, Sean Kelvin? His face of stone quivered at last, as my wife only, Ellen Kelvin. Very well, heart's treasure. She caught his arm on both of hers. Let us be going home. In the name of God, he finished for her. And she went with him, proud as the morning out of that place. But a woman, she would have the last word. Mother of God, she cried. The trouble I had to make a man of him. God Almighty did that for him before you were born, said Matt Tobin softly. Well, folks, that's our show for today. Happy St. Patrick's Day and happy March. Uh, But before we go, we have one more song for you in honor of the beginning of baseball season. It's the beginning of spring training, and everyone's an optimist. So here's the Mountain Goats with Cubs and Five. Take it away, boys. So long, everybody. This is Uncle Frank. I'm Jimmy Sweets. Gregor McGregor. And we'll see you next month. Get all the way to the top.